This morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel according to Luke. We're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read through verse 25, and then we're going to continue on with verse 57. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. But my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. 
instantly Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words of our scriptures. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this time, this opportunity to gather together to worship you like this with family and friends, loved ones. We thank you for this season of Advent that we're entering into. We thank you for the memories. We, we heard this morning in the hanging of the greens the, the memories that these symbols or to bring to mind. Help us this morning to remember and at the same time to hear fresh and anew that through our time of, of exploring the scriptures together that we might be transformed into the people that you've called us to be drawn closer to you to resemble more and more your son. I pray this morning for a clarity of thought and that you might hide me behind your cross. Let us experience you in your glory, your mercy, your grace, your peace, your joy, your love, your forgiveness, your justice and your righteousness. For all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, I recently read an article. In fact, uh, I, I liked the article so much I printed it off, and we're going to discuss it in Sunday school for the next four weeks. But uh, it was written um, from a, a, a gentleman who wanted to... Um, enlighten his Christian friends. 
And one of the things that he thought he could do was point out, one of the, one of the things he wanted to do to help them uh, was to point out the apparent um, contradictions between the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew with regards to the Advent story and the Christmas story. And uh, I, thought, I found the article extremely interesting because for me, it's only a contradiction if you're trying to force the Gospels to do something they were never intended to do. We always have to keep in mind when we're reading the Scriptures that these are first and foremost theological stories that people are trying to share to tell us something, to teach us something about their understanding of God. and, And so in the New Testament, their understanding of who Jesus is and then challenge us to be who we should want to be or desire to be or, or open ourselves up to the transformation to become as persons who claim to want to follow that Jesus. Does that make sense? They, they were not setting out to write history books for us. That was, that was the last thing on their mind. They're trying, to, they're trying to tell us something about Jesus so that we can experience the Holy Spirit in a way that transforms us. And so... One of the things when we read the Bible that we always should be keeping in mind is when you come across something that only appears in that gospel or that might actually be different from one gospel to the other or historically you find out isn't even possible, right? Like there's, there's a mention, I'm not going to get into this, but there's a mention of two particular persons in the gospel stories that um, there's, they're actually 10 years apart but it's presented as being at the same time. So that should make us say, wait a second, what is the author trying to say here? Because the author does not assume that you're dumb. In fact, the author often assumes that you know, that you would know that, because they're not thinking about writing to me who doesn't know the history, who isn't familiar with the culture. They're writing to people that they assume are going to know these things. And so when you come across... In, in the scriptures, a mention of a name, right? Um, or, or a place. We need to really sort of, we, our, we, we should perk up a little bit and be like, ha, huh, what's the point? Why are they saying this, right? So knowing, knowing the where and the when of Jesus is essential to understanding Jesus, is what they're trying to say. Like They're telling us about the, 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 the when and the where so that we can understand who Jesus is. And so when they talk about things like the temple of Jerusalem or, or Bethlehem in Judea or Nazareth in Galilee and Egypt where the family finds shelter after the birth of Jesus, they're, they're making theological claims and, and they're, like, automatically things will start coming into our head about, well, what, what is the significance of Bethlehem? And so, like, for example, the significance of Bethlehem is it's the home of who? Anybody? David. Ah, so maybe they're actually making a theological claim about Jesus by saying he's born in Bethlehem. Do you see what I'm saying? Or why would they tell us that Jesus went to Egypt and then came out of Egypt? Does that make us think of any stories? 
the Exodus story, Moses. Yeah, absolutely, right? And so they're making connections. And so when they tell us things like he was born during the reign of King Herod, or all this was going on during the reign of King Herod, or, or Caesar Augustus, it's not just simply dates. There's something they're trying to tell us. And so it's very interesting in this particular passage that following the first four verses of the prologue, which, which Luke takes time, by the way, using very elegant Greek in those first four verses, where he lists his purpose for writing, it's in verse 5 that sort of the narrative proper actually begins, right? So he's like, and this is why I'm writing to you, da 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 And then he begins the narrative by saying, during the rule of King Herod of Judea. Why? Well, first of all, this is not a promising start to the story. Automatically, people are going to be like, oh, him. That, yeah, that guy, right? The readers of this letter are going to be familiar with Herod, who ordered the massacre of the children of Bethlehem. Remember that story? All right, now there is some argument about whether or not that's a true story. Okay, fine. Here's some other things he did, right? He was a king appointed by Caesar. He's not actually of the people. So he's connected to Caesar. That's a problem. He killed his own sons. There's historical evidence for that, whom he suspected of plotting against him. He killed his wife as well as her brother and her mother. Um, Herod, Herod, realizing that the people he ruled hated him, ordered the whole nation that, that they should be put into mourning by killing one out of, out of every family. Right? He realized the people don't like him. Nobody's going to mourn when he dies, so let's put them into a state of mourning. We'll just kill one person from every family. That'll make them mourn. Now, fortunately... Uh, that order was not carried out. But the memory remains, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. We still, that mattered so much that it was written down that we still know that story today, even though it wasn't carried out. How many orders do you think were given in the history of history that we don't know anything about because it wasn't actually carried out? But this one we do. Now, Herod holds the throne, right? But Zechariah and Elizabeth become the focus immediately after the introduction of during the reign of King Herod. During the reign of King Herod, there's these two people that are priests. Right? So an immediate contrast appears. King versus priest. Foreign interloper versus loyal children of Israel. And to reinforce this shift, and even maybe signal a rejection of Herod's Roman connections, Luke changes style. I mentioned that it was the first four verses are written in a very elegant, ornate, formal, classical uh, Greek, the, like a, a Roman rhetoric in the first four verses. But, it, but the language of the, in the Septuagint changes, right? It, or he begins to then, after verse 5, he begins to use the language of the Septuagint, sort of that common Greek. He switches, and he goes to the Greek of the Hebrew Scriptures. That might be intentional. And then interestingly, the name Zechariah comes from the Hebrew word Zakar, which means remember. And the Yah in his name, at the end of his name, it's a marker for Yahweh. 
So actually his name means God remembers. God remembers. And then similarly, Elizabeth's name likely derives from the Hebrew word um, Eli, meaning my God. And the second part comes from uh, Sheva, which is an oath. So her name literally means that God keeps promises. God remembers. And then in this couple, we're reminded of a familiar story, right? Did, as if we were reading it, and you began to hear about how she was, they were both very old, but they were barren. Did that bring to mind any stories? Abraham and Sarah, right? Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all of them struggled with infertility. It's a, it's a hearkening back to the, to the, the heart, the, the foundation of the people of Israel. It's, it's almost as if Luke is saying, remember the story? Now hear it again. But hear it again with a new couple in a new time with a new message of hope. So this couple, like those that you all just mentioned, those that before, are given hope of having a child. And they're to name him John, which also, interestingly, means God is gracious. God remembers God is gracious. And the Spirit, right, we read this, marks him as a new Elijah in preparation for a messianic age. Think of the claims that they're making here. What, what Luke is doing is he's rereading the prophets in light of this new promise, this new Elijah, the new Abraham and Sarah. Like, do you remember? Don't forget, but it's new. Here it's coming. Right? So he rereads the prophets in light of Jesus, and his followers understand the scriptures of Israel differently. And in light of Jesus, we're going to see things and hear things differently, hopefully. Right? In our own world, we should see things and hear things differently than those around us who don't profess to try to follow Jesus. We remember, but our memories are always reshaped. We remember the past, but we're not to be prisoners of it. You know, this just popped into my head. I don't know why it didn't, so I apologize if it doesn't seem to work with my intentional flow here. Um, I saw a thing this week. Just think about how we see things differently if we're, like, Following Jesus should cause us to see and to hear things differently, right? And sometimes it's the memories that we have. We go back and we're like, now that I'm following Jesus and I'm starting to like, view the world through Jesus, that, that, that story, that memory that I had, it doesn't, like, I'm not bound by it anymore. My anger is, is I'm able to release that anger. I'm able to, like, I'm not captive. 
But I thought about this. I don't know why this popped into my head. But I saw this thing that said, um, if you are, and it started filling in, like, if you're Jewish and you, and you wish me a happy Hanukkah, thank you. If you are African American and you wish me a happy Kwanzaa, thank you. Right? And it, and it kind of goes through this whole thing. And if you're not religious at all and you wish me a happy holidays, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to say something nice to me. That's a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? Maybe that's one of the things that Jesus could do for us. Instead of looking for ways to get mad, look at ways to give thanks. They didn't say Merry Christmas. Yeah, but they <laughs> they gave you a happy greeting. They also didn't flip you off and cuss at you as they tried to run you over in their car, right? Like, Anyway, sorry about that. I digress. Okay, but we can't, we cannot have hope unless we know our past. I think that's important too. And I think that's where we're going here with this memory thing. With new experiences, right, then, then we can go back and we can reassess our past. My dad used to talk about 2020 hindsight. That's, that's the message Luke gives, right? In light of these new stories, we can find meaning in the past. And in finding meaning in the past, we can find hope. With the birth of John, Zechariah is filled with the Spirit, and it says that he prophesied. Now, prophesied, right, doesn't mean that he's offering a prediction. It means that he's sharing words from God. And as he's sharing the words of God, he's offering assurance to the people that are willing to listen. He's saying God has acted in the past, and those actions have repercussions for the present and the future. That remembering is part of God's investment in us, but it's also part of our responsibility to each other. Right? We look back and we can see what God has done, that investment in us. But as we remember and things are reshaped, it means that we also have a responsibility to one another in light of the hope. Zechariah's prayer recalls God's promise regarding David's house. King David, the founder of Israel's monarchy, is being contrasted here again with who? Who was the other king that was mentioned in this passage? Herod. Luke refers to David as God's servant or child. David is not classified by might, but by meekness. This is the type of leadership Jesus is going to promote. It's the complete opposite of Herod. Our hope arises from memory. Our memory and the memories of those we love. I have hope because people I love have similar experiences have lived to tell me about them. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, are you, you ever go through something really, really bad and you're like, oh, I just, and then all of a sudden someone you love, someone you, cares about, you care about shares with you that they've gone through something similar and you're like, oh, they made it. I can make it too. And then what happens is I can pass that story on to my children. 
And then maybe one day they can pass it on to their children. And what I'm doing is I'm sharing hope. Imagine what hope we can have when we remember that God remembers. The God whom we love, who loves us, remembers. Find hope in that. Amen.